Welcome to the Keegan Smith Podcast. Choose what you give your life to or have it stolen from you. My mission is to rewire for power. We've all been gifted massive potential. This podcast is about unwrapping that gift. What if you could? Potentiating wellness, abundance, and movement. Today's podcast is made possible thanks to Prove It Ketones. I got onto Prove It Ketones through Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss, and I'm glad that I did. I was following the ketogenic diet, and uh, adding the ketones to what I was doing definitely improved my training, improved my recovery. The research keeps getting bigger, better, wider. So many benefits uh, to this product, and the amazing stories that I've heard from people all over the world who've completely transformed their bodies and their lives with this product makes it a pretty amazing thing to offer. So if you want some, reach out, realmovement.proveitnow.com or message me and I will connect you up with a sample. And we're back. It's been a while. It's been a good while. Uh, since I did a podcast, why has it been so long? No idea. Probably just waiting to be perfect so that I can send you that perfect message. I, that's really the goal. Um, and I think that sometimes that is the cause of paralysis. Uh, I'm always kind of waiting to get to that next level where I have another level of information, another level of self-development, another level of personal performance. Um, and sometimes I'm really down on myself and disappointed when I'm facing challenges that I've faced before and it feels like life is on a loop. And, you know, that's the way it goes uh, sometimes. And going back with the Roosters for the last month, uh, it was very enjoyable, exciting uh, to be a part of that. It was also very challenging um, to be back in that old environment. There was, you know, things there that I consciously moved away from things in myself um, and things in that environment that I wanted to evolve and see what else was was possible and what else was out there. And, and it was challenging being back. Um, lots of cool stuff, lots of fun stuff. Great to be a part of it. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to do it. Um, but I probably didn't really feel like uh, podcasting during that time either. Anyway, today's podcast is about canaries and cockroaches, uh, canaries and cockroaches, the vision for the future of humanity. What's the future of humanity look like? This is the question for today. And it is a very, very big question, obviously. Uh, but when was the last time you heard someone consider it, uh, put forward some different points of view and, 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 you know, really challenge where this is going? I guess that's something that I love to think about and more and more over the years I've, I've started to put together things and details and plans of how to actually shape that in my own life and in the lives of those directly around me, those who would like to interact more um, with me. And I think it, it is a good question to ask. It is a foundational question. And yesterday I had the opportunity to interact with a program called The Change Room. Uh, it's put together by Matthew Elliott. Um, he's a former NRL um, and Super League uh, coach, rugby league coach. He played uh, under my father back in, I think, 19... 1993 and uh, at the Dragons and then and then at Bradford. So I've known Maddie since I was a young fella and it was great to be a part of his program yesterday. It's basically working with people who want to see a new perspective on themselves and, and build wellness to a point where they open up a new future and a new possibility for the future. And yeah, that's really what I'm about. And it was great to see the way that he's put that program together and just see people light up and transform and shift and, and open their minds to new possibilities just within the space of a day. Um, so I spoke there about uh, nutrition and that's definitely one of the areas uh, that I'm very, very passionate about and that was primarily my role with the with the Sydney Roosters. If you haven't, haven't uh, heard about what I was doing and don't know what I'm talking about there, talking about the Sydney Roosters, um, my role was around nutrition and lifestyle and um, yeah, I, I am passionate about that area and it overlaps a lot with what I'm going to talk about today. Um, I'm also going to touch on uh, Elon Musk's vision for the future and maybe you know, some of the things that have been coming up on the, the Joe Rogan podcast, which I'm a, a big fan of and um, probably got into mostly through Craig Fitzgibbon. There are probably a lot of people who talked about it and told me about it, but he sort of steers me back to it fairly regularly. Whenever we catch up, he's always got one or two that he's heard that are um, very interesting. So uh, yeah, the, the the Elon Musk vision of the future versus uh, 
some of my own views and, and thughts there. So the canaries versus cockroaches, that's people or uh, animals that are going to live through tough times versus those that won't. Okay, so this is a concept that I use a lot when I speak on nutrition, when I have the opportunity to address an audience. I'll often talk about canaries and cockroaches. Um, some people talk about it as canaries and crocodiles. Whichever way you want to go, I'm not sure who started it. It's probably got a long history of, of talking about things in this way. But the old canary in the coal mine was the warning sign uh, for the miner to know that bad things were going down, that the, the air quality was deteriorating and that they were likely to pass out or die if they stayed in that environment. So the canary would be more sensitive to that environment and have less resilience and therefore would fall off its perch and a signal to the miner, if you don't want to fall off your own perch, get the hell out of here. And, and so that was, I guess, a low-tech way to do mining. And I've been in some of the, the mines of the world, like um, in Bolivia, in the Potosi mine, the silver mine over there. Um, you could see sort of the ancient gods and, you know, chew the coca leaves. And the history of that mine is, is pretty brutal. And, and, you know, people were transported from all over the world to work in that silver mine. And it was actually the biggest city in the world there uh, at one stage, according to the, the history that I learned when I was visiting that place. But you think about being down in one of those holes and banging away on um, at the rocks and, and you know, wheelbarrowing um, rocks out of a, a mine all day, uh, you would want something there to, to signal that, uh, hey, the air is becoming very toxic here with something that you're stirring up, get get out. Um, and obviously these days, well, more than likely, there'd be more technologies in place, but I'm sure there's still a lot of toxicity down there. And I, I know, uh, we all know people, if you're an Australian, you know people who are involved in mining and, and you know people who've uh, have probably had challenges with, with health or you know, mental or physical with, with being in that mining environment. But bottom line is, some of us are more like canaries and some of us are more like cockroaches. How do you know whether you're a canary or a cockroach? Well, it really comes down to how much you can knock yourself around without disease, without falling apart. And some people are very aware of their health and vitality. Other people don't have that same awareness and they really won't know that something was going wrong until they have a, a serious breakdown and they either, you know, go to hospital with, with an illness or have, you know, debilitating pain or, um, or injury, um, or they die. You know, some people will literally, they won't really know that they're messing up until, until they die. But from my experience and, and, and my sort of belief around this is that we get a lot of warning signs, just like in the car, a good car, the uh, oil light will flash if there's you know a problem with the oil and um, you know there's all those other warning signals inside the car so when we have joint pain when we have headaches when we have low energy when we have fluctuating mood when we have the shakes when we have you know unusual hunger when we get colds and flus all these things are signs and symptoms that something is going wrong they're warning lights and we can either look for the solution or we can grab a hammer smash the light and continue on our way now obviously it's a stupid idea to, to go to the mechanic and say hey can you switch this light off it's it's really bothering me you put oil in the cart you fix the problem now this is modern medicine versus uh, traditional medicine um, this is stupidity and insanity versus uh, intelligent uh loving, caring, nurturing, regeneration and, and, and way to deal with, with disease. But most of modern medicine in terms of chronic illness, modern medicine is very, very bad at managing chronic illness. Um, so taking pills for most of those things that I mentioned above is likely to mask the, the condition, which may have its place in the, for a very short period of time. But chronically, we know that the outcomes are bad and, uh, you know, usually if you read the side effects, they're not really side effects, they're just effects um, on, on, the, on the pills. Um, you'll know that the things aren't designed, well, they shouldn't be consumed chronically, they shouldn't be consumed long term. In terms of emergency medicine, um, amazing, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of amazing stuff there. If, you've, if you get hit by a bus today, um, you know, where you would definitely be dead, not that there were buses in the in a while ago, but if you fell off a cliff, uh, modern medicine is definitely something that 
can help to put you back together in an amazing way. And there's all sorts of great technologies that can help to preserve human life in that way. But in terms of optimizing human life and, and building vitality, there's not much of a place there. So for the canary, for the person who is sensitive to the environment, we need to learn other things and we need to know other things. A cockroach, on the other hand, and, and sometimes uh, when I'm speaking about nutrition, I will refer to some of the, the athletes that I've worked with uh, to affectionately, very affectionately, to, as cockroaches. Some of the guys have extreme levels of um, vitality and, and I guess resilience where they can be training very hard. They can be putting their bodies through all sorts of brutality and drinking hard and not sleeping that much and not eating very well and they can maintain that uh, for a number of years now most of them do accumulate a fair bit of damage and will have either mental or physical you know degeneration and consequences to that um but a lot of them are surprisingly resilient where they, you know, they don't break down immediately. They can get through, you know, two, three, four, five years, maybe even a whole career um, without breaking down. I do believe a lot of the injuries and, and challenges that come to athletes uh, are due to those those factors as well. And, and obviously, there's an incentive to ignore the warning light in the world of elite sport because if you're not performing, you're not getting paid. You're not being an athlete, and there's there's a window of opportunity for an athlete to perform. And then you know you're not going to win competitions past a certain age. Now you know there's there's always those few guys that continue on to mid 30s or late uh, late 30s, or early 40s in certain sports. Uh, but there is a time where there's not going to be any money there anymore. There's no professional sporting opportunity. So. It is understandable that is a decision that people make to just push ahead and push through it. But if we understand health and, and vitality from this perspective, then we know that we want to become more cockroach-like. And this might be the first time you've considered that you want to be a cockroach. Uh, maybe you like crocodiles better and you think, I want to be more crocodile-like because they've been around uh, apparently since the, the time of the dinosaurs or a, a long way back. Um how do you become more resilient? How do you put this, you know, this puzzle together in a way that we don't break down so easily? Um, good questions, and and that's basically what you know my life is about: exploring. And it's because I have had a lot of challenges. Um, sometimes I think I'm a cockroach, and sometimes I think I can abuse my body, and and it'll be all good. I can put myself through you know successive days of working really hard, training really hard um, and not recovering well and not, you know, not doing things to regenerate. But inevitably, Mother Nature kicks me in the ass and that is, uh, I guess it's the way it's meant to be. Otherwise, you could just, you know, easily sort of work yourself to death or work yourself to to illness and to, to a state that was impossible to recover from. Um there is probably a level, you know, that you you don't recover from as well when you, when you damage the body. And I think, you know, some of the things that I did in my late teens and early 20s, which, you know, you listening to this may resonate with, but, you know, I, I drank too much, I ate too much junk food um, or at least a lot um, and, you know, didn't, yeah, I worked like shift work basically with a, as a, because I was a pool lifeguard at the same time as I was partying a lot. So some nights I would get home at, three or four in the morning and and then other mornings I would be up at that time. So I was messing a lot with my circadian rhythm. Um, and through that time, I had a bunch of different health problems and physical injuries. I wanted to go to the Olympics for hockey. That was my story and my goal, um, something I wrote down when I was 12 or 13 and presented to the class when they sort of had to talk about your future. Um, and... I, yeah, I had a lot of physical challenges and, and probably some later on there's some mental challenges that steered me off that path and, and sort of prevented me from, from getting there. And maybe you can connect the dots going backwards on some of the things that happened in your life, some of the decisions that you made and um, you might be able to see where things you fell into uh, got in the way you know that around that same time I took long long course antibiotics um, I received a number of different vaccines 
Um, and, I, you know, there were a lot of factors there which could have negatively affected, you know, my health was poor. Why was it? Well, yeah, there was all of those those things going on. I got a mobile phone around that time. I pinned it to the side of my head uh, for considerable amounts of time, um, most evenings, and I could feel my head warming up. I, we now know um, and we can see different tumors that are built into people's brains in the shape of different devices that they've attached to their heads. Um, some of those, you know, um, you know, earpiece devices for, for mobile phones and that sort of stuff, you know, that those things are, are real and there was, there's damage done. So where is this going? What is, if we loop around, okay, so looking at what's happened there in the past and, and hopefully, you know, your mind is, is jumping away from this podcast and jumping back to some of your own history and thinking what was actually going on at that time where I was getting a lot of headaches or that time where my, you know, my energy was really low or I got glandular fever or chronic fatigue or um, whatever challenges you may have had in the past when you needed to take antibiotics several times in succession. Um, yeah, I'm really proud that my kids have, have never had to have antibiotics um, thus far. You know, they have good vision, they have good teeth, and these are the markers that our ancestors judged the quality of, of their, their living by. Okay, so our ancestors knew about breeding canaries and cockroaches, and I'll tell you who else knows about uh, canaries and cockroaches, and, and this is one that I often bring up as well when I speak around nutrition, is... Uh, dog breeders and horse, you know, horse breeders, people who are involved in horse racing. These people understand very deeply that it matters how strong the mother was and it matters how strong the father is and that there's certain traits that are inherited. And I was speaking to uh, Dean Robinson, uh, the weapon, one of the guys who's uh, probably most famous strength and conditioning coaches uh, in Australia, and the guy is a, is a genius. He's a, a walking uh, library encyclopedia, however you want to put it. And he was talking. We, I asked him some questions around this, and we, I was talking about mitochondrial DNA, and I've been learning about um, you know the energy, basically your energy, your genetic energy um, predispositions coming from your mother's side. So mitochondrial DNA, if you remember back to biology or um, if you sort of studied in that area, the mitochondrial DNA comes from the mother's side. So it doesn't come as a mix of the father and the mother. If it did, you might end up with half of a power plant built like one that's in Japan and half of one that's built in France. And that might not necessarily produce great energy. Okay, so we just receive it from the mother's side. And that is why a good health practitioner might ask you about how you know, your mother's health, how, is, how was your, your mother's health, what health challenges has she had, um, and your grandmother. So your mother and your grandmother will play a huge part in your mitochondrial health. And if you're into wellness and, um, you know, the whole biohacking scene and all that sort of thing, you'll know that mitochondria is really lighting up and, you know, we've, we've become much more aware that mitochondria are such a huge factor in health and performance and it makes so much intuitive sense like well that's where energy is produced that's uh, a lot of the energy that's produced in the body is produced there in the mitochondria well of course you know it would play a, a huge role but for the large part and for the most part you know we've been focused on the nuclear dna so you know the dna whenever you think of dna it's basically you know we're thinking of that that double helix, but it's we're thinking of what's coming from the mother and the father, um, and that's the the nuclear DNA, and that has a big part in lots of our traits, and it does have a big role and a big part to play in our health. Um, but the mitochondrial DNA is also very important, and it's much simpler because it's primarily just involved with these small bacterial type cells. The mitochondria are, are like a they were a bacterial cell that a more complex cell engulfed and, and sort of put to use. And that's, you know, why it's fundamentally we have so much, so many bacterial qualities within us that the concept of being antibacterial and living in a sterile world is one of the stupidest and most damaging concepts to be put forward. And it's continues to be the dominant paradigm of, of modern medicine. And, you know, if you look to, 
any species on Earth, excluding our own, and our own species from a couple of hundred years ago, or at least you know five hundred years ago, and any time before that, and even you know living here in Australia, the concept of antibacterial, uh, you know, it, it, it's mostly ridiculous to Indigenous Australians who who lived uh, on the land up until very recently, and you know I've been out hunting uh, with Indigenous Australians who still have pretty good connection to their traditional ways. And I can guarantee you there's no uh, antibacterial swabs and, and such. Now, there are bad bacteria and, and there there is, you know, you can't oversimplify this picture, but we're meant to have lots and lots of bacteria living inside the human body, probably 10 times as many um microorganisms as we have human cells and obviously inside all our human cells we have lots and lots of mitochondria and we want them i think it's like ten thousand inside the heart and um brain cells where most of our that's where mitochondrial density is is highest so we need to be looking after those things and people will tell you that we get a massive die-off of mitochondria when we take antibiotics um so where was I going with this? Talking about these uh, canaries and cockroaches, this in in animal breeding, they understand that if you don't breed the two runts, you don't breed the runt of one litter with the runt of another litter, and expect to have really strong offspring um, that people will pay a high price for, or that you can show, or that will go and win races. You choose the best ones, and you breed them together, and you know. I guess since Hitler and uh, putting forward that concept of of eugenetics and uh, or whatever it was called, but you know the the the, the idea of of breeding humans in that way and these humans are superior or whatever, it's almost looked down on to consider things from this perspective. But I, you know, all traditional cultures, all many traditional cultures, when Wesley Price, you know, toured the world, they understood that certain foods were necessary to have healthy offspring. And you know, thinking of things a little bit more uh, as dog, as if we were dog breeders or horse breeders, we we may actually have a much healthier humanity. And I, and I don't think many dog breeders or horse breeders would be pouring Coca Cola, you know, into the the bowls or the troughs of their prized um, and extremely valuable animals and yet it's not uncommon to see them feeding the same foods that they wouldn't dare give to their animals to their children and you wouldn't you wouldn't serve them cocoa pops and fruit loops and um all of these things and and you know i was speaking yesterday and one of the guys at the event i was at is uh, a dog breeder and he said he's invested eighty thousand dollars in dogs and he said that feeding them raw food massively improves the quality of his dogs you know that he can notice the difference in the health of the dogs um and when you've made that kind of investment then you know you think about those things but you know most people and i'm sure you would be the same you know you love you love your kids and and you love humanity much more than than you love your racehorse um or, or your dog and we we've lost the plot you know we've moved so far away from this and 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 Never mind our children, you know, some people don't have children and you can't relate to this or, you know, you don't want to think about it from that perspective, but even for yourself, like, would you, would you serve, would you get your dog drunk every week, you know, your, your prized dog that you are breeding or, or even, you, you know, you, you have your family pet, you know, even if it wasn't about, you know, money and wealth and it wasn't a prized racehorse, but would you do that to to your animal, you know, and, and we wouldn't and we don't. But we do it to ourselves, and you know it's it's the primary advertising on on the you know elite sport around the world is junk food and alcohol, maybe gambling, cigarettes if it's still allowed to be, you know it'd it'd probably be um, you know pornography and and prostitution if that was allowed. But you know it's whatever society allows, and we put that forward, and then we wonder why. That's the dominant, you know, dominant traits and characteristics in society. So we have to make strong decisions, and we we really are being challenged um, by you know that inheritance, by what's happened in our mother's generation and um, grandmother's generations. You know, though what they were exposed to, and and probably back more generations than that. But a lot has changed in the last 
couple of generations. You know, my grandma who, who recently passed on my mother's side, um, she grew up eating, um, you know, lamb, lamb livers and hearts and brains. And, you know, she was out on a farm out at Tamora in a very natural environment. And, you know, most things were, were organic and, um, they, they lived in a, a fairly pristine and, you know, quality, uh, place to to exist they were out in the sun they didn't have wi-fi they didn't have mobile phones and you think well of course they didn't have that stuff but in a very short space of time we've been uh you know vaccines became mainstream and you know we're exposed to more and more vaccines as we have less and less um, of those diseases um, and most of those diseases started to die off uh, when we stopped eating our own shit so hygiene does have a part to play um if you know you don't want to be fermenting feces in your drinking water um, that's pretty obvious and and most animals will will do that you know the pig will go and shit on the other side of the um, the area that it's been allotted um, and humans humans do the same so that's you know we do need some you know we do need some level of hygiene and plumbing is is an important thing but we don't need to be extremely germophobic and try and become sterile. And one of the things that I heard recently that resonated with me a lot was that a sterile environment creates sterile people. Sterile people, And a lot of people, um, you know, it's one of the fastest growing and most lucrative areas of medicine is, you know, in vitro fertilization and, and those fertility treatments. And it's because a lot of people can't have children because they decide to do it too late and because they're, they're canaries. They're, they've hit nature's stop sign where the, the the mechanisms don't work and the one side or the other side or both sides you know, are not strong enough and this is due to damage in the environment. You can't put this down to weak genetics because every human that exists uh, is the result of many generations of, of breeding, of successful breeding. So you, know, so you can't really blame your ancestors um, for those sorts of things. Um, it will have a part, obviously, but you know we've, we've inherited much more wealth than we have poverty in genetically. So uh, getting towards the end here, the key concept that I, that I want to take away from this is how are we meant to be living and, and you know, what's, what's best practice here? How, what should we be moving towards? And I mentioned that, you know, the Elon Musk uh, podcast that was an interesting one with Joe Rogan. I wonder if he's going to have presidents and all sorts of um, other influential people on there in the near future, because he probably is a better um, sounding board or, you know, uh, better place for them to put some ideas and opinions forward than just about uh, any any sort of forum but because of the long car, long uh, format and you know that he has the opportunity to express a, a lot of different ideas and go through a lot of different topics some people may not want to expose the you know their true self or that side of themselves uh, to the public but although it was you know kind of gutsy that he that he was on there but at the same time scares the hell out of me. I, I just don't think that we should be. And you know, a few of the key concepts there, if you didn't see it, one of the key concepts that he put forward was that our interface with digital technology is too slow. So, and that's, that's the, the limiter. That's the, one of the biggest problems with technology at the moment is because we have to type into the devices, uh, the feedback forwards and backwards is, is basically, um, too clunky and I know there are voice activation things and such but he's basically said on the podcast that within the next few months he'll have a device coming out that will drastically accelerate the interface between man and machine and you know he's he already considers us cyborgs um, because we're constantly downloading our lives um, into Google and into you know these these massive databases of human experience you know every time we search for something every place we go where it's tracking us with the gps and when we sit in traffic and all of this data is is being collected on on every individual uh who has one of these smartphones um as we call them uh, smartphones make dumb people a smartphone has nothing close to the technology that a human has and i think that's an important thing to to keep in mind as we move towards this technological future i'm speaking to you through technology and and i love being connected to 
you know, lots of information and, and great people through technology, but ultimately it has to lead to us living better. If it's not leading to us living better, we need to put, put the brakes on it. And I think that uh, a lot of the social media stuff, it's very clear that we need to put the brakes on that stuff. It is good to be able to see bits and pieces of what friends are doing, but if it's taking up more than 15 minutes twice a day, uh, as Charles Poliquin recently passed, um, yeah, I'll probably maybe do another podcast or with about Charles, but I, you know, I was really sad to to see him go because I, he gave so much to the world, and I was really looking forward to learning a lot more from him, and and obviously, um, you know, sad for his family and and all those people that were close to him as well. Um, but I, I think we need to be, you know, we need to be vigilant. We need to be concerned if 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 the health, mental, and physical health of humanity is declining then we need to we need to pump the brakes on this stuff we need to use it for what's good and get it out for for what's not you know to turn turn it down turn it off uh, unplug it and and have some time away from it and i guess that's part of what i've been doing as well you know i've been inactive on social media and i haven't been you know i haven't been podcasting and such i've been spending a lot less time on technology i can't say that it has actually been amazing for my mental health mostly because I haven't really been producing anything and I haven't been of value. And I think humans, you know, we need to give. Uh, when we're giving a lot, we, we feel really good. If you feel like shit, try and help someone else and you feel better. You know, that is pretty a pretty common recurring idea. Um, and I think, you know, it's a good one. It runs through lots of different philosophies. And I, I don't feel like I've been giving anything of value or much of value for the last few months and, and probably struggling with for, for a little bit longer than that. Um, but there's the other side of it where it can really, really mess with um, your mind and your self-worth and, and that sort of stuff to be on social media uh, too much and, and sort of judging your life and your worth compared to the quality of other people's, you know, photos and filters and everything that they can manufacture. And we're all aware of this, but, you know, what matters is the, you know, the action on the other side of it. You know, are we, what actions are we taking? How are we living? You know, that's the, that's the question. And that should continue to be the barometer and the, the thing that we judge the value of technology by. And I've heard something really interesting. And if you know the answer to this, and if you can quote me a source or find me, I'd, I'd love to hear it. But I've heard that um, Steve Jobs didn't allow his children to use the technology that he developed. Now, I don't know how he would manage to do that and to what extent, but as saying that I've heard a few times recently. I wonder if it's true. Um, I have also heard that... Um, uh, some other stuff around the technology there that the Tesla car um, been doing a lot of research around electromagnetic frequencies and different light um, looking into some of the resources that um, Dr. Jack Cruz uh, recommends. He's someone who's spoken at Bulletproof conferences. I think that's how I got onto him um, checking out some of his talks, but basically, you know, and this is what I heard when I first heard about the electric car concept for the future before Tesla. I heard that the main issue with it would be electromagnetic frequencies because they're a, they're an electrical device. And we know that some humans, and this is the canaries, are extremely sensitive to electromagnetic magnetic frequencies. Like they can't be around any of these devices uh, for even a small period of time. Uh, or they get they get headaches um, and they that interferes with their with their mitochondria um, and they just, they literally can't function around these huge uh, energy sources. So, is that something that you know is going to come out about these you know uh, electrical cars? I think, and this is jumping completely to another topic, but you know. It's my podcast. I'll do what I want. Um, Earl Nightingale put forward that we would be in a hydrogen economy by the nineties, um, and he, you know, Earl Nightingale. I think he may have passed in the eighties or so, um, but he was one of the first guys in the self-help industry and a mentor to Bob Proctor, who, who's been a big influence on on my life. Um, Earl Nightingale's stuff is super interesting. He had one of the most popular radio shows in the world at one stage. And if you listen to it, the quality of the media that he was producing, I don't 
know of anything that parallels or that runs even close to it. And I think Joe Rogan's podcast uh, is is probably one of the closest things. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was just deciphering, decoding, and and sharing extremely high quality material in such a positive way. And you know, to thinking that he was sort of the the world's number one radio presenter at one stage is sort of the way I understand it. I wasn't around for it, but um, Earl Nightingale said that hydrogen would be the future energy source for humanity. And he predicted it to become, you know, to come much sooner um, than it has. What's interesting is that Japan is switching to a hydrogen economy. And I think, you know, there were hydrogen cars maybe 15, 20 years ago. I remember learning about it when I looked at the, um, there's documentaries, who killed the electric car, um, there was stuff around hydrogen cars and such that I was reading and, and watching around that time. And uh, I remember, I think the main thing with the hydrogen was that people were concerned that it's explosive. And then, uh, you know, I put this forward to a friend of mine who works in hydrogen and you might know that I've actually, you know, been interested in molecular hydrogen. Hydrogen is used medicinally in Japan um, and increasingly around the world with elite athletes um, through various mechanisms of delivery. But um, yeah, it's something that's very exciting that I'm you know, experimenting with again. I first did you know, used it back in 2014, but the technologies weren't as good and the research wasn't as clear. Um, but on the other side of the equation, Japan is actually switching to a hydrogen economy. And what they said about the hydrogen car was that it was too dangerous, too explosive. But if you think about petrol, you know, it's if you put a match to it, it's dangerous and explosive. What's worse is that every time, and I was standing there yesterday, breathing in petrol as I'm filling up the tank, knowing that I'm going to have to detoxify this. Like my body is going to have to work to get this stuff out of my system. Anything you can smell, you're going to have to detoxify. So I'm going to have to detoxify. Um so, you know, anything you're smelling, you're basically eating. There's molecules, there's particles of it going into the body. And so that, you know, yeah, if, if we could be filling the car with hydrogen, I think we would be in a better place. Yeah. Public transport hasn't really progressed at all over the last hundred years either. Very, very little. And I said this to my wife and she said, no, there's fast trains in Germany. I'm like, yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah. Not so much, not so much in Australia, not so much in a lot of parts of the world. We've we've stuck to this petrol economy because it serves a few people to be running a, the global economy on petrol. I, I think, look at how much we've advanced in terms of smartphones and such. Um, at the same time, you know what has the car done? And you might point to Tesla, but yeah, I've got my concerns about that. But at the same time, like we. I just it's hard to believe I, I can't be I can't be fooled into thinking that humanity is doing its best and that you know the best minds of the world are actually trying to develop energy solutions um, I think we would have gone a lot lot further than where we are and we wouldn't be pumping so much you know petrol and and its byproducts into the you know into our bodies and into the atmosphere Um Air pollution is a killer. If you look at the statistics on air pollution, your life expectancy is like 10 years shorter if you live in a major city. So if we're talking about the future of humanity, if, if you want the best, you need to find a way to not live in a major city. Um, it's the like noise pollution, all those sorts of things. If you've got kids in that environment, um, statistically, they're not going to do as well as kids that are in uh, rural environments where the air is clean and they're not exposed to as much noise pollution. Wi-Fi is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. Um, the 5G network that's about to be rolled out and, and celebrated, uh, Telstra's been you know, very vocal about it, very excited that they're bringing this 5G network uh, to Australia. People who understand electromagnetic frequencies, and if you haven't ever done any research about uh, electromagnetic frequencies, it's, it's probably a good time to. But you know, in the very near future, there's going to be uh, the cities are literally going to be lit up with this this network, and it, basically, it's like it's it's a light form that you can't see. So if you could see it, if you could see Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and those sorts of things, it would be like shining lights. So you wouldn't go to bed with different lights shining uh, inside your room and all through your house and all over the neighborhood, but because you can't see them, 
you sort of think they're not there and you think they're not that important. Um, most of us, you know, don't and we're not really aware of it. It's not front page news and, you know, people aren't talking about it. So, well, it can't be that important. Otherwise, it'd be on the news. Um, if that's your, if that's the level you're thinking at, then you're, you're in deep shit. And then probably that's, that's, that's why we're in the, the situation that, situation that we are in, uh, in terms of mental and physical health. Um, yeah, we need to be looking to other possibilities and other solutions. And in terms of my vision for the future, and, and I probably thought about this lots and lots during my 20s and probably a lot of people do i came out of high school and went straight into university because i was you know head down bum up in in sport i really wanted to be elite in sport and i ended up putting a lot of effort into my studies and and, you know managed to graduate with the distinction um average with graduated with distinction and you know that was i guess a lot of my focus until my early 20s and then i was like hang on what is this world? Like what's actually going on here? And once I stopped being inverted commas educated, I actually started to learn. I actually started to think and I thought, what the hell are we doing? Why Why is everybody in debt? Why are suicide rates on the rise? Why are there more and more ch- children's hospitals? I've got to go and investigate this. This is bullshit. And that's that's what I did. And a lot of what I came up with in terms of solutions during my 20s, part of it was socialism, I guess, um, or definitely uh, rejection of capitalism, which probably most, you know, I'm saying probably a lot here, but a lot of people do in their uh, late teens, 20s. They they reject the economic model that we live under. Yeah, the, the competitive Darwinian kind of nature of it, uh, survival of the fittest, it doesn't. It's pretty barbarian, um, and with all the development that we have, you know, Earl Nightingale predict, predicted that we'd be working like twenty hours a week because we don't really need to work anymore to meet our material needs, only for the fact of of money, and that's just for the lack of a better distribution system. Are we working so much because we want so much stuff now? Work. When I talk about this, it's like working on things that are relatively useless or doing jobs that we don't really want to be doing, um, duplicate services and such. Like our economy is so wasteful in terms of labor um, and it gets probably worse as you go to Thailand and Indonesia and you see hundreds and hundreds of people selling the same junk on the side of the street and it's like this is wasted labor, this is wasted lives and their kids are sitting there at their feet and you just think like this is not – you know, what are we doing? What is humanity doing? And you think, well, that's not Australia, but it is because we're all we're all part of a global community. We're all running on the same economies, and um, yeah, I, you know, we're we're part of the same network here. That we can't say, oh yeah, we're doing fine, and they're just not doing well. But, you know, everything that we have here is being imported from from those economies as well. So, what is the solution? What is the future? That was the question that I kept posing to myself and, you know, probably, yeah, we we do, we should a lot, you know, we do it a lot in our 20s when we're sort of thinking, well, shit, is there 40 years of, 40 years of work ahead of me, you know, sacrificing a lot of my life to maybe one day retire and go traveling and, and I'll start living when I'm 60 and the kids move out and I'm whatever, which has become 70 now and will probably be 80 by the time or never, you know, by the time uh, I get to retirement age, I'm 35 right now and I don't think 70 will be retirement age. Saying that, who knows, the world's changing so quickly and life expectancy for our kids is actually shorter than what it was, you know, for our generation. So um, who knows what they're going to be, you know, what's what's going to be the rules with that. But I don't see that technological future as a, in a positive light. I don't think that, you know, he talks about, Elon Musk talks about programming the reptilian brain and that social media and these devices are built around the reptilian brain and reward system is you know do we want to be running off that system social media um, is is set up to to trigger things in a similar way to the way you know casinos and, and Las Vegas and stuff like they they literally learn from from those devices that are programmed to empty your pockets um, 
we're programmed in the same way, you know, so through, through social media. So increasing the interface and increasing the connectivity for, for us and for our children with that, you know, those devices and that way of thinking and uh, having those organizations, um, those businesses have a bigger part in programming our mind. Like what do those businesses exist for? You know, they're, if you look at it from the simple perspective and, and probably the most superficial one, you know, they just, they want our money. Um, they want, they want control of our thoughts, um, and our time to be able to, you know, to be able to get our money to be, able, if they hold our attention, then whenever someone holds their attention, then there's a, there's an economic opportunity within that. And there's, that's, you know, that's why a lot of people podcast as well. And yeah, I mean, it's probably part of the reason why I do because um, there's a possibility. I haven't really tried it yet, but there's a possibility that it will lead to people coming to more events and, and contributing to, you know, the, the dreams and aspirations that I have in my life. Um, understanding that that's whenever you're putting your attention on something like that, that is at least part of the equation in the, in the, the capitalist, you know, 21st century. When you're doing that for Google and for Facebook, um, then that's, that's who you're, you know, that's who you, you're energizing. That's who you're giving money to. I don't, I don't want them to be determining my future and the future of, of humanity. So taking energy away from that, is probably a bigger part of the solution and it's a big big question for our time and you know Elon Musk talks about that he's very scared uh, by the connection of technology and I guess artificial intelligence and he says oh I tried to warn you and you know I tried to put the brakes on this stuff but it seems as though now he's he's decided to throw his hands up and become a part of it and whether he actually ever did think that you know this is too much and it's going too far or who knows but he also doesn't school his children in mainstream school, if you're thinking about that as well. I think um, it's a question that comes up at our house quite a bit. And, you know, my daughter is four now, so she's coming around to school age. I don't really want her to be brought up in the average traditional way. El Nightingale said school's where you send, or I don't know if it was him, but it was in one of his episodes schools where you send your kids to be brought up by other kids um i do believe kids should interact with each other but i don't believe sending them to be looked after by other people for a large portion of their developmental years is is that that smart uh, unless those people are geniuses and they have your kids best intentions at heart um i was thinking about this morning like i would love to understand the teaching methods uh, that were used in Florence um, and, you know, Da Vinci and Michelangelo's time and there are probably parts of their culture that were ugly and whatever that we don't want to emulate. Uh, but how did they teach, you know, how did they get across so much? How did they become so great at so many things? Like it was, Da Vinci was really a multidisciplinary genius, you know, and, the creative mind that he had, but his ability to construct and, um, and to, you know, to, to depict those things, you know, so few people in today's world are so great with their hands, but then, you know, creative and, um, inventive at, at the same time. And yeah, the compartmentalized sort of education and specialization that we have really means that a lot of that can't, can't happen anymore and is unlikely to happen. When, when was the, when was the last time? When was the last real genius and you know, app development and stuff? It doesn't, doesn't really cut it. I don't think as far as that stuff goes. And there is a case to be made that we're not improving as far as technology goes, you know? So um, like this humanity hasn't progressed in the last 50 years. You know, there is a, there is a strong case that we've devolved over the last 50 years. And I think it's worth considering. And it is uh, quite a negative thing. And you might think, oh, I'm glass half full. You know, it's we're all going forward. And it's all positive. If you love technology and you have a technological vision for the future, then you could be, you know, it's it, we're progressing at a rapid rate. If you love health, uh, if you love creativity, if you love community, you know, if you wish that family units were 
you know, more like they, they might have been in the past and been in other places, parts of the world, then it's it's pretty tough to make the argument that we're progressing. You know, the, the system that we have is, is socially isolating. That's how it's happened either by chance or by design. I believe it's by design. But for whatever reason, very few people, you know, there's, there's not three generations living on one roof and, and most people actually think that that's their worst nightmare is to be living under the same roof as, as three generations. But our ancestors didn't feel like that and they had support of their parents and their grandparents and their aunties and their uncles and their cousins. And, you know, if, I know in my family, you know, the, the large majority of that has been lost and... I believe it's by design. You know, we we all moved to the city. Um, this was, you know, 100 years ago, 90% of people lived in the country and most of them were self-sufficient, relatively self-sufficient. Um, reading about the convict times, I've been reading a book about convict food and, the food, you know, the food around the time of the settlement of Australia. And the goal was to get off rations. The goal was to get off the shop um, so, you know, off ration meant you, you weren't a prisoner anymore, but when you were off ration meant you weren't getting that, you know, slave food anymore, but you had to go and produce your own food. And that's what our ancestors did. And I, I had ancestors, you know, in those, I think the first fleet, but definitely very close to that. And, and they had to find their way. And, you know, they, there were, everybody was setting up farms where they had, you know, one or two, uh, cattle. Most people had goats, they had chickens, they had a veggie patch, and in a lot of ways, they were wealthier than we are today because who has access to fresh organic food where you cut it and eat it? It matters that your food's been transported from a long way away. It matters that it's been preserved. It matters if it's been sprayed with all sorts of different chemicals, um, if it's you know genetically modified and... So who who's really wealthy? And, and you know, yeah, yeah, times were tough there. Like there was there were challenges, and and people had you know there were periods of famine and there were periods of um, disease. Once we built up and and lived too close together and poured our shit in the street where we were you know going to transport our food and and such, um, or when we you know we lived on grains and in the missions and and when they fed the native people of the world on flour and sugar and their health deteriorated and we said that they didn't have the immunity to deal with the diseases that we brought but really what they you know they didn't survive captivity and that is that is a, a great way to look at this image we've created a zoo humans now live in captivity and the vast majority of the world is moving into captivity if it you know if it wasn't even 50 years ago there were a lot more people in a lot of different parts of the world that was subsistent or semi-subsistent. They were surviving locally, um, you know, local community food. This is all but erased. The global food supply, the global medical system, which are very, very closely intertwined. This is this is the vision that we've moved into. Is it how we should be living? Like, let's let's put the question forward: Is this better or is it worse? Are we living better? Are mental health statistics improving? Are health statistics improving? Is our education system evolving and creating happier, more productive, healthier, more cooperative children? If it's not, then why not? And what's the solution? Who's talking about the solutions? And yeah, your politics and all that. You know, like this is politics, it's very political. We had Malcolm Turnbull come in the the dressing rooms for the Roosters and again they're uh, doing their PR bit. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not much of a fan of that that sort of activity, but um, he was in the dressing rooms. I think at the Sharks game, and then we had the other bloke um, Morrison, whatever his name is. I don't even, you know, it's such a joke. The political system in Australia and, and around the world is 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 a joke to me. Like the, I don't remember the last time I heard something important you know come out of one of their mouths a, a conversation about something real and a vision for for humanity a vision for for a country um yeah turnbull has a someone was telling me a massive massive house at ball clues just next to where we were the other day they're just yeah there's they're out of touch with these things but they don't 
what's you know yeah what's the what's the What's the real wealth? Like what what's what's the real end game? Where should we we be working towards? You know, is more money and power really going to give us anything that we want? You know, is anything anything that we that we deeply desire? It's it's almost a superficial question, I think. You know, like money's fine and it's it's fine to have great big stuff and you know, we should be building things and you know, we probably can't build as well as we could you know, in a lot of ways in the ancient Egyptian times and we probably can't build as well as we could and, and do the things that we could um, 500 years ago, you know, in, in Florence and, and such because we have this get it done quickly for money mentality and, and I think that that is something that we, we, we need to think about uh, as, as humanity and we need to take action on. But ultimately, it's individuals. It's individuals and small collectives you know, and small groups who make decisions about how they live and they put that forward as a possibility. And, you know, the fact that there's still Amish communities and, and some of those other uh, communities in America is kind of testament to this where, you know, you can make a decision and, and back that decision and live in a different way. And you know, I haven't been there. I don't know what it's like, but, you know, they still think that they've got a better way and maybe they do. And I think that... <laughs> a lot of traditional cultures were actually very happy to stay with the way that they were. They didn't necessarily want to jump into this technological money-driven world, but it's, it has its allure. It has its, you know, it has its positive sides, I guess. And, um, once you're in, once you dip your toe in, it's, it's, it's a slippery slope. You know, once you want a little bit of money, then you want a little bit more and you go and work away a little bit and you work away a little bit more and, you know, soon enough, you're you're deep into the cash economy, and the old way of living is is no longer possible. And you know, everyone wants the best for their kids, and they sort of see, well, yeah, I want my kids to be, you know, to be educated and to be able to make money and get a job and have a nice house. And but we've done that now. You know, I, I sort of I was trying to put the rabbit back in the box there at one stage, living in Mexico, you know, in rural villages. I sort of want to say to them, hey, like this isn't going anywhere good, like if you keep going down this path, you're just going to have what we've got in Australia. And I don't really think that you want that, but that's their decision. And, you know, putting the rabbit back in the hat is not really the way forward. We've seen it. We've got it. We've got technology. We've got this material abundance. Uh, we make more money than our you know ancestors could have dreamed of. We spend less and less of it on food. What do we actually spend it on? What are we investing it in? Why do we have so much debt? Why do we have these massive houses? You know, what what is the path forward? Is it Elon Musk's path of dopamine pushing technology wired into our brains you know, for a much greater period of time than they already are? I, I cannot see how that is a positive vision for, for my children and, and for humanity and for myself, you know. Seven generations ahead, I, I you know... We're at an important time. We're at an important time where technology can be used to do important things and shared important information and ideas. There is a great opportunity for individuals to to step forward and to express themselves, you know, powerfully and present solutions to the world and live solutions. But this concept of rating how we're living versus how someone else is living and rate this and rate that and you know living for likes and, and hearts is is doesn't seem to be taking us in a positive direction and i'm I'm pretty scared of that future that he's talking about there on the Rogan uh, podcast and I think the research around light in itself um, if you check out Dr. Jack Cruz and some of the resources books that he recommends shining light in your face all day long. Uh, and all night long, it's it's not working. It's causing damage to circadian rhythms and massive damage to health, and it's not the path forward. Um, so I'm going to wrap this thing up, and I'm going to wrap this thing up saying a bit about what I think is the path forward um, because I do want this to be a positive thing, and, and I, I do want it to be an opportunity, but I think it's necessary that we do reflect, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the whole you know, the whole podcast, if there was an idea there that, that rattled and resonated with you. Um, yeah, I, I love chatting about this stuff, and 
I will make this a conversational podcast at some time in the near future. I just hate the logistics side of uh, podcasting and being organized is probably one of my lesser qualities and um, being consistent. So I, I do want to talk to other people and I need to have some more routine in my life. I fought hard to get freedom and now that I've got freedom, I need routine. And it's not that I want to be enslaved, but I need more routine so I can be more reliable to other people and I can make a better contribution to the world. Um, so ultimately, I think that a big part of the solution is eating great food, speaking to great people, being connected to great people, um, and that is is probably the bottom line. How do we live well? You know, in community, great food, um, connected to nature, living by nature's cycles. And if you look at it, most cultures had that. They went to war with each other from time to time over resources and such. But I think we have known in lots of different times in history how to do that. Can we do it together with technology? Uh, I think we can, but I think we have to make some strong decisions about how and why we want to use technology, which parts of it we want to uh, we want in our lives and which parts we don't. And it's not something that can really be a government decision. It's a decision that individuals uh, need to make. And I, you know, if one person can change, if one person can think, then a lot of people can. And so, you know, the world has changed a lot in the last, you know, five years, 10 years. It's going to change a lot in the next five or 10, but how it changes will be completely up to us. And yes, there there is censorship and there is pushback on, you know, revolutionary ideas and positive ideas and, 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 and non-economically, uh, you know, ideas that don't worship money. Um, there's pushback against them, but uh, there is an opportunity. There's so much freedom right now that, Yes, there's, there's censorship and there's you know there's there's things there, but I don't think we need to be worried about that. I think we need to be worried about living really well and sharing that with other people. So that is the gauntlet, that is the challenge that I'm setting for myself, and it's also the challenge that I'm setting to you. So what are we gonna do? That's the question. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear your solutions and. Obviously, it's lots of little actions. Uh, it's philosophies. It's it's, but it it is economic. It is it is as well. You know, where where you get your food, where you live, and how much money you need, and how much you know, where where you're headed with all of those things. So, my solution that I'm about to fully launch myself into da -da 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 -da, drum roll points of the whole podcast is. Um, Moving back to the to the farm, you know, to the place that I bought and I wanted to buy. I basically bought it mentally, you know, when I was in my twenties in in Mexico and Ecuador, and, and sort of thinking if I ever have the opportunity just to have my own piece of land and to be able to produce a decent little bit of of food and and live um, some of that experience that our ancestors live and, and live by cycles of light and things like my grandfather did. He ran a dairy farm at fourteen. Uh, I'm intimidated as hell by the concept of having a few goats and chickens and, um, you know, uh, eating them, but also, you know, just caring for them and building, you know, uh, giving them places to sleep and all those sorts of things and the consistency that goes with farming. Uh, all those things intimidate me, but I'm, I'm very excited about experiencing more of them. And yeah, I will invite you to uh, come along with me on the journey over the next few months and weeks and months i don't know if it's years it's an experiment you know that i'm all for experiments i've been doing some wacky uh diet experiments and i'm always doing different behavioral experiments maybe i'll talk about them uh in future episodes I might talk a little bit about the roosters experience as well in some time in the next few weeks but hit me up if you've got something you would love for me to cover and if you got all the way to this point in the podcast Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, I don't know if you deserve to be congratulated, but you know, I love I love your support and I love the fact that you're interested in in pursuing and, and checking out, you know, um, what I'm up to and I really do want to provide value and positive things for your lives and and ultimately, you know, be a be a positive influence and um, 
that's I think what we what we should all be aspiring to. And when we do it, we live well and we serve ourselves well as well. So thanks for jumping on and I'll speak to you very soon. Keegan Smith from Keegan Smith Experience. Man, that guy can talk. But he does it because he loves it. If you loved it, Man, share it. Give us some feedback. What was great? What didn't you like? What was your biggest take-home message? Make sure you stay in touch with us on Instagram and share your wins, people. This win is only going to come if we do it together. We have to take ourselves further. By taking ourselves further, we give permission for everybody around us to make positive changes in their lives and to become the people who they want to become. Everybody's changing the world. You are changing the world. Let's do this together. Let's see how far we can take it. Imagine, imagine if we all put our full heart into becoming the best versions of ourselves every single day. Day.